Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. Whether you're an active duty service member, veteran, DOD civilian, or military family member, you can join Navy Federal. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. It's better. I mean, if you spread the word to people who don't get to experience that and then educating them, that's how you gain support, you know, in what you do. For us, we're in our police department, we're very big at that in inviting the community into our home, not, you know, our police station, but in our homes to see exactly what we do. So it's not a mystery, you know, from their perspective, all they see is the police officer driving around their car with a pissed off look on their face. You know, and they're like, look, typical, typical. Look at that police officer. Doesn't even wave, does it? But you, that police officer have a million things going on in that car at that moment. Kind of you know what I mean? So th- we invite them in our police department. We introduce them to our police officers, and they find out that, you know what? They're actually pretty normal, <laughs> you know, and very friendly and very outgoing. And most of the guys that, that I work with or that I know even in other police departments, it's like very much like the military, you know? Take care of business when you got to take care of business, but most of the time it's just fucking around. <laughs> On this day and age, when you go in, you want to go in to help. I mean, to, to be a police officer for the community. And the, the way the standards are set, it's hard for somebody to get in there and just pure hate. Right. Usually the conditions set the tone after a while. People get jaded. It's a jaded thing. No oh, absolutely. How hard tries, it's, yeah, but for police officers, much like the military, is what we have to learn to do is adapt to how society is yeah, correct. we can't sit there and digging our heels in going well this is how police work is done yeah. no guess what it's time to change how police work is done and do it differently we need to focus more on obviously mental health you know getting educated in mental health getting educated in emotional uh what well, uh instabilities cognitive yeah instabilities. absolutely yeah. you know that's what I teach to the law enforcement officers. Yeah, and, that's, and that's but that's important yeah. because that helps you adapt to how we respond to things, you know. And that's the big thing right now is that the way society is, we need to adapt how we do work, not stop doing work or be more aggressive because that's been the two tones. Why should I do anything if I'm just going to get sued or fired, you know? So you know what, I'm not going to back off. But that's not the right attitude because that's not what your mission is. Your mission is to help, you know. That's how it was as the war started to progress later on in the, after 2010 into the, into the teens. And the dynamic itself, the narrative changed. And, but you still had repeat. Everybody that was fighting the war had been re- 
fighting the war since day one, mm-hmm. and there was a understanding of how it should be, or how it was, not how it should be, as it started right. to make that shift. We're like pushing, hey, it's hearts and minds. It's hey, let's it's let's push out the the, the locals first. Let's let's win over right the communities that we're patrolling so we can get out of here, or we Absolutely. don't have to be here. Right, absolutely. Because if you don't adapt to how things need to progress, you're going to just get stuck in the rut like everybody else has. You, and know? you go backwards. Well, yeah, totally. Back. For sure. You know? I mean, because you got to eventually hand it over to the neighborhood. Oh, absolutely. That, that, that's what we do over there. We have to give back to them, and they kind of take it back and start policing themselves. As, and then we're just kind of standing out on the skirt to where you don't even need them anymore. Yeah, we really don't need to be here. Hopefully. I mean, that'd be ideal. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit podcast. Excited to be back. What up, guys? Hi. Mm-hmm. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Is that a new vest? It is a new vest. Do you like it or no? <laughs> he has a vest on. You see that? <laughs> it's not a sweater vest, at least. I like it. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep rocking no, it. It right? good with that plaid, though. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. I was wearing that same thing. I think last time we filmed, you probably took it from me anyway. Yeah, I like your style. So, <laughs> like your moves. Like your moves. Like your moves. Hey, we got a Patreon question of the day coming from Ashley. Who is your favorite A-team character and why? Oh, Murdoch. He's just out of, I mean, just absolutely amazing in what he does, which is comfortable in his skin and just flex left or right. Just was a nut. He always kept my attention. Everybody's going to say B.A. Barakas, but that doesn't count. <laughs> yes, it does. Mr. TBA brackets, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, both of them. They did a good job. If you went, I was going to go with BA until you said that. <laughs> you got to go, man, I go like with him. Like, yeah, he doesn't like to fly, you know, it, it, uh, hard dude on the edge all the time. Plus, I'm a big Mr. T fan, dude, growing up. And that's uh, well, that was a thing. Yeah, that, that was the first guy that popped into my head when you said 18. I mean, you got Murdoch, Face, Hannibal. BA, Hannibal. So, they're, I mean, well, they're all, what, what yeah. you got? I'd have to say uh, B.A. B.A.? I think it's everybody. You think A-Team, that's the first person you think yeah, of, right? Van. So, it was right. the van. Yeah, the, 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 the paint version of like Starsky and Hutch, but it was on the van. <laughs> you say A-Team, the only thing I think of is that van just flying yeah. in the air, you know, like jumping over. Who didn't want to jump? Thank you, right? <laughs> Back then, man, the shows were, it wasn't so CGI or so sci-fi that what they were doing, you're like, oh, let me get that done one day. Right. And uh, nowadays it's so crazy. You watch on TV, you're like, I can't even keep up with that. Yeah, he jumped in a Kano line van, <laughs> right? With eight inch rims. And pulled it up, right? <laughs> Probably some boom in the back. There How you about go. you? Ashley. Uh, you know what? I've never seen it. Yep, I know. I know. Get on to me. One, add to the list. Oh, there's a list. There's a list. Have you seen the, the new A team? I think so. You think so? I'm pretty sure. Listen, here's the deal. You're pretty sure. I've seen a lot of movies, but I'm not one really? of those people. Really? Because every that... time we name one, you hadn't seen it. I'm not good at memorizing movie Maybe one day we'll get lines. to a movie you have seen. The Mask. Which one? Which one? Jim Carrey. Okay. All right. That's the only Is there movie. Another Mask? It's the only movie. Oh, yeah. It was had Sharon and Sam yeah, Elliott. Sharon. Yeah, Sharon. Okay. Right. Mask. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kid's name that, did, that played uh, the. Rodney uh, Dennis. Right? Rocky Dennis. Rocky Dennis. Yeah, that was the kid's name, right? Yeah. That was the name of Eric Stoltz, dude. Good pool. Eric Stoltz. Was it? Right? Played him? Yeah, he played Eric Stoltz. Well, Ashley, thanks for the question. Thanks for putting me on the line there. You fell off again. Fell off. Failure in the. We need a whiteboard up here with. Every time I fail. With Andrew fails and just put a mark, a check mark. No, exactly. Your movie that you need to watch, and when you watch it, we'll. We'll check it off. We'll give you a check. (laughs) Give me a a sticker by your name, something like that. I need stickers. Gold star. There will be no demerits in this classroom. (laughs) We have PE every day. Everybody's a winner.
Hey, if you want to ask a Patreon question, join us, patreon.com slash team never quit. You get exclusive access to the show, some cool merch. We even put your credits on YouTube, which is kind of cool. You help us produce this show. You want to know a twin thing? You want to, you want to hear yeah, an eerie it. twin thing? This happened to us this morning. I'm driving from my house over to here, and I called Dan Crenshaw to check in to see how everything's going. And as he picks he's like, hey, what's up, bro? He's like, hang on, your brother's calling. And he was calling at the exact same time, standing at his house. And he same merged, call. Same call. He merged the calls. We all three of us, we all three chatted up. And he's like, Marcus was like, yeah, it was an ESP thing. Same time. Same time, man. I call him up. <laughs> See how he's doing. That's funny. All right, guys, we got a great guest in store. Sam Bonilla, police officer with 34 years of experience, program coordinator for the Suburban Law Enforcement Academy, an attorney with 16 years of experience, master firearms instructor, U.S. Marine during the Gulf War. Sam uses his law enforcement and attorney experience to teach recruits discipline, self-sacrifice, as well as many other skills. Welcome to the show, Sam. Thank you. Have you ever read The Alchemist? Yes. That's you. Years ago. Yeah. That's you, bro. That's impressive. Thank you for your service. Yeah, Thank appreciate you continue it. to serve. Welcome to the show. Happy to be here. We got a file on you and everything. Because you came Jeez. in. Jeez. came in. <laughs> yeah. Class, it says classified on too. I didn't even. I saw that. Yeah, last nice. time you had something with your name on it said classified. Right. I'd never seen it. I think the printer might have been running so, out I'm of sure somebody has seen it, but I haven't. Hi, if Chicago, right? I'm from Chicago. Suburbs. Suburbs. Chicago, yeah. It's snowing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't snow here. It, it was snowing. Did you have a white Christmas? It was a white Christmas. Oh, cool. We don't know what that is. It was nasty. We have a... We have what one. do we have? Two years ago. It's only a pretty on Christmas. Christmas. After that, it's not good. We laid down Christmas Eve. Kids sat down and say their prayers. Like, and We'd like it to snow. We woke up next morning, and it was snowing here on the ground. Wow. Oh, yeah. I don't remember that. It was in... What was that, 15? That might have been... Yeah, because it was the year that we wasn't in, last we year. We Nashville. 2021. Well, am I bringing up old stuff? Is that what you're saying? You know about when we were kids? When we were no, kids? no, no. Here, at 2015, I was living here. I had a he video said two of years it. ago, didn't he? I said a few years ago. <laughs> two few. Sam, couple more than six. Harvard's on the phone. They call him again, man. They want I got my jacket back. right here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing my Harvard jacket. Are you? Sam, why don't you take us back? How'd you get your start in law enforcement? Um, okay. Go back further than that. I mean, okay. let's, let's start from the beginning. Beginning. Where, yeah, where did it start? Okay, so I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. That's where I grew up. And then Bro- Brooklyn and Chicago people don't like each other, do they? Uh, no, I think it's fine. I never heard anything like that. That's yeah, right. I've never heard We of give each either. other crap, but that's it. You Over say, the food. You say, the food. We say Houston. You say what? There's a street in Manhattan. It's Houston. Spelled Houston, but it's Houston Street. That is we absolutely were, correct. Ha ha. I know where that is. We were driving, and the GPS said Houston Street. Mm-hmm. And my, my buddy was like, what the fuck did so much just say? <laughs> yeah. All right, sorry, go ahead. Spelled Houston. It's exactly the same, Houston. It's capitalized, too. When, uh, <laughs> how old were you when you left New York? So well, we left the city in Brooklyn, and we moved out to Long Island when I was 12. So I, I sort of had my high school years out in Long Island. It was like growing up in Brooklyn, because down here and where we come from, Brooklyn's like, you know, it's like the toughest place on the planet. Um, you you look like a tough guy, so it's obviously true. I am a tough guy. I, yeah, I but <laughs> there are some oh. myths that roll down from from up there. But look yeah. down here, when you hear those certain boroughs, you're like, oh, okay, probably a tough guy. Right. They um. So the thing is, you don't realize how bad an environment is when you grow up in that environment. You sure. know, mm-hmm. until you look back or you meet other people that say. Oh my God, you're from here? 
You know, so even the school that I went to in Long Island, I thought was normal. But when I told people, like, the high school that I went to, everybody was like, you went to that high school? That was pretty bad. And I was like, I didn't think it was that bad when I was there. It was fine. So I think it's just the environment that you grew up in that you're used to. You don't really realize it um, until somebody else mentions it or until you go back and go, holy shit, I grew up here. You know, <laughs> so. Yeah. I guess it's only uh, a tough environment if you ain't tough enough to be there. Right. Because we have a so, great right. time. If you grew up there, we have a great time. It means you. You're tough enough to be in there. Absolutely. Have you right. been in, Have you been in Texas before? Or is your first time? This uh, Dallas. Dallas. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a city. I went to Dallas. Not yeah. the country. You know, we don't ride horses yeah. to work down there. So yeah. So <laughs> that's not necessarily true. That's true. We do but actually sometimes. It, 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 Texas is on my list of places to explore more. So I do. I hope you put a lot of time on the calendar because it's, it's going to take. It's, it's yeah. take a bit. Yeah. Yeah. We got a lot. I know. A lot out yeah. there. All right. So Brooklyn bro- siblings, brothers, sisters. I have a little sister. Mm-hmm. So um, she is, she was six years younger than me, so we're quite apart, but we're, we're very close. We, um, she actually lives out by me now. Um, and then growing up, we were la- what we call latchkey kids, stayed at home, yeah. you know, while both our parents worked. And, you know, so we, we were very independent. I would actually come home from school at a very young age, pick up my sister who was an infant then and go up to our little apartment and lock the door and wait for mom to get home you know eat a snack watch cartoons on afternoon cartoons Which we all used best. to watch and, i yeah. forgot they called us that last key kids yeah i forgot I heard that yeah term in a while. you watch your afternoon cartoons till mom got home and it reruns of the brady bunch gilligan's island and the good stuff you know it's the good stuff right like and stuff like that so, so uh, we'll get into it but you were um police officer former marine former marine former prior which one do you prefer uh, former. Uh, former. There's no such thing. You're a Marine. Yeah. Okay. Marine. Uh, military history, background, and family? Or did you start it? No. Dad, but grandfather? I have, um, I have an aunt that was in the military. Um, I have uncle, Air Force. Um, I have another uncle that was a Marine. Oh, yeah. You got it in there then. So we had, and I have another uncle that was in the Army. He was a, out in Fort Knox as a tank commander. So it was... So it's all across. That's kind of with our family. It's not yeah, just one branch. Your, your daughter's a Marine too, right? Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. How was that? How'd you? Well, how'd you pick Marine Corps? How'd I pick Marine Corps? So I initially went to the Army recruiter um, because I wanted to go my junior year, and since the boot camp was shorter, they would. Well, we always heard that they would take you over the summer. You come back, finish your senior year, and then you could go. They didn't really care for the Army recruiter too much, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the Marines. I always wanted to be a Marine. They got better uniforms. They do. More badass, they do better you know. Uniforms. So, um, you know, and here's the thing. Navy SEALs weren't mainstream yet, you know, at, at the time, you know. They were out there, but it wasn't very mainstream like it is today. So that wasn't even a thought right. in my head at all. So I was like, I'll go into Marine Corps, you know, and they have really good uniforms. Well, I, I, I don't know. I, even being a Navy Seal, you had, I just kind of just ripping on you guys. You still had to wear those uniforms before you became a Navy Seal. Oh, yeah. That's a true statement. <laughs> yeah, you said, there's a burn party after. Yeah, a burn party. Yeah, party. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, like, yeah. I said, oh, I don't know. That's, that's probably the first challenge of becoming a Navy Seal is having the humility to wear the Navy. I'm, well, that's the funny part. Sometimes uh, you'll keep, we had to keep a set of whites, but it's usually the ones that got issued. And there were nights when we were out doing uh, road, uh, trips, training trips. Mm-hmm. And people were like, and the chief was like, all right, everybody, everybody put your whites on. 
and guys would try to put those things on from boot camp, and they're 200 pounds heavier, right, probably, right? right, right? Yeah, and yeah. I mean, buttons are breaking. <laughs> got, there's no rank on it, and you're just walking around. It was the funniest. I mean, sometimes we dress up in our dive skins and go out. It was it was a free for all, but yeah, the uh, our uniforms are dead. The the funniest part when I got in because the the dungarees and everything are blue. I'm like, what yeah. are you falling in the water? Right. Why wouldn't you want oh, it to be any other color? The most hysterical thing I saw was, <laughs> then, then gray and blue. was blue camis. The blue camis. The blue camis. I was not, like, they got rid of those. I was like, are you kidding oh, me? Oh, they gone now? Oh, yeah. They took, they took ours. They took ours. Blue, blue camis on, on a sh- I know. gray ship. I know. I, I thought it was hysterical. I was like, are you kidding? You're gone. I don't know who thought that. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, if you hit the water, they turn color <laughs> like a hyper shirt. It's like, uh, Whoever thought that through didn't. Did, didn't. And then the, I can't imagine how much money it cost to outfit the entire Navy. Anyway. So you so you joined the Marine Corps at eighteen. Joined the Marine Corps at seventeen. Seventeen, yes. 17, yeah. And I left probably less than a month after graduating high school, um, and just a few days after turning eighteen. I mean, you fought in the Gulf War too. How long? I was well. They put me on a ship. I wouldn't say. <laughs> I was on. So here's the thing. I know you were so, on the forest all too, right? Yes, I all tried right, to. Oh, come on, let's yes. so here I, I am, saw that. I was like, yeah. okay. So here I'm, I'm hear trying that. to like. I'm ripping on the Navy, and here I end up getting stuck on a Navy. You've been a lot longer than we have. Yes, <laughs> right? I had, Yes, they put me on an aircraft carrier, and I was like, on the forestall. Yeah. For for everybody that don't doesn't know what that means is that give ship, them a history lesson. Yeah, that ship took up took heavies. It damn near burned all the way down to the keel, right? Well, several times on that boat. Uh, yeah, a couple they, times. They right? said it was they the nickname was the Forest Fire. That's um, pretty good. Yeah, because that thing always caught fire. Like even when I was serving on it, that thing lit on fire too, and you know, the biggest things were the weapons that were on board that we were like, oh, man, we're going to have to go back and unload all these weapons when, when the ship burns down, you know, because we they would constantly show us the videos, you know. So when you're on the ship, they only, you, you have to watch what they're showing you, you know, uh, Armed Forces Network, you know. Uh, so, uh, so you're watching what? Top Gun over and over again. You're watching, you know, Full Metal Jacket over and over again, you know. Oh, at that. least they showed you Full Metal Jacket. Right, right. So they're showing you the same moves. Well, also they would show you the documentary of when the ship caught fire in yeah. the Gulf of yeah, Tonkin, man, dude, Tonkin man, Gulf War, you know, in Vietnam, the one that McCain got yeah. hurt on. Yeah. So, um, and they constantly show that. And then, so, yeah, that thing was, it was the oldest, at the time, it was the oldest carrier in the fleet. Still diesel. Still. It wasn't nuclear. Wow. Yeah. I wonder how much diesel you got to pump into that thing to run so, around the world. I can't imagine. That was a big imagine old being on one of them diesel submarines. Being down depth. Just, right, right. We just ran out of fuel. <laughs> Both tanks. But yeah. So, yeah, so it, was, it was interesting getting put on an aircraft carrier. Um, but here's, in hindsight, thinking about it, because when the Gulf War broke out, they would ask all the Marines, hey, who wants to go to the fleet in case they need you, you know, as bodies as this thing escalates? Obviously, it turned into not being much after, you know, they surrendered right away. But so, of course, we all were like, yeah, we're going to go. I mean, that's what Marines do. You know, yeah. like, we want to be where the action is. They said, well, since everybody wants to go, nobody's going to go. So you're going to stay on the ship. So we were like, oh, this is bullshit. I'm on a Navy ship. I need to be out on, you know, complained. After years ago, and then I heard some of the stories of the guys just sitting around in the desert doing nothing. Eating MREs. Eating MREs. Oh. Living. Sandstorms. Scorpions just, running around uh, everywhere. Look, I, in hindsight, I had it pretty damn good. We had air conditioning. We had heat. We had three square meals a day. Navy chow is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah especially you know? on boat. Yeah. You could look at the water. Yeah, right. <laughs> Ports, so, look, I, 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 after that, I was like, I'm good. 
I'm, I'm glad. And then not only that, if you think of it historically, that is the core mission of the Marine Corps was yeah, to be yeah, on a ship. Yeah, I like that, man. You know what I mean? So historically, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty proud of what I did, you know, in that sense. No, hey, thank you for your service. Yeah. How, so, so what, six, four, six years? How long were you in? I did four. Four years, and then straight out, back? Yeah, so I did, I did four years. Um, I went to re-enlist, um, and they, the re-enlistment office said, well, you know, you have great ASVAB scores. You could pretty much do whatever you want. You could transfer over to, but we don't have anything open right now because it's right after the Gulf War. We activated so many reservists. There's nothing available. However, if you re-enlist as an 0311 infantryman, which is what my ultimate MOS was, um, you re-enlist in that, and as soon as we get something open, we'll get it to you. I was like... Hmm. What will I do till then? <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah. uh, you know what? I'll go ahead and, and get out then. And so so that's when I got out. Plus, I, you know, I had a family by then. You know, um, Samantha was already born. My, my daughter oh. Samantha was already born. Wow, you were one of those guys. Yeah. Huh? Um, so I was like, I don't want to keep getting deployed. I mean, I kept getting deployed over and over again. I was like, you know, I was like, okay, time to be more stable, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so I got out. So I got out. Um, we initially moved to Tennessee. Um, I actually went to school during the day, full-time, and then uh, worked at a gas station at night to pay the bills. And Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I managed. Where at Tennessee? Tennessee? Knoxville. Okay. That's about as 180 out from Brooklyn as you can get. Right. Um, <laughs> so I didn't last there very long, so we spent a couple years there. Um, I was not comfortable in, in that. Now, as in, you know, late, many years later, love it. You know, it was. Well, that's but tell me something about working at a gas station. I wouldn't know. Yeah. Uh, working at a gas station wouldn't know. What kind of gas station was it? Was it, it, was, chill? it was a Phillips I mean, Just like chill, like you think it would be. Yeah. All right. It, well, I. So they always be like, "Don't step out from behind the counter. It's dangerous." You know, something like that. But I get so fired up. Like people like do these drive off. They steal the gas. You know. Oh, like while oh, yeah. yeah. I'm and here I am fucking running down. Oh, sorry, running down <laughs> no, the road, good. chasing after people who just stole gas. You know, and I'm like violating every rule about stepping out from behind the counter, like trying to chase them down. You That's st- probably the big thing to do in Knoxville. It's like pump go. When you run after them, they go in behind you and steal all the beer. Right. <laughs> I'm not saying I've seen that happen. I'm <laughs> saying well, yeah. So maybe a possibility. And then um, after that, I. Um, my dad had uh, was like, hey, you know, he had just, my family, the rest of my family, my mom, my dad, my sister, my dad, his job just transferred him out to Chicago. So he's like, you know, it's really nice here. You guys should come up here. You know, it'll be, you know, it, they got everything. They got the suburbs. You got the city right here. It's, it's more like home, like, you know, New York. So we're like, okay. So we packed up, moved to Chicago, and then... Um, and that's where I've been ever since. Since then, my mom and dad have gotten transferred to Minnesota, and then now they're in Florida, now retired. So oh, nice. Yeah, there you go. I'm not going to follow them all over the country, but yeah, so that's how we ended up in Illinois. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. 
All right, so just 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 to recap before we get into the, the meat and potatoes of, of this this episode here. So because I like what I like to do is I like to put everything in relative terms because people can appreciate somebody who's accomplished what you've accomplished. You come from the exact same places that we do. Mm-hmm, born, totally. born in Brooklyn, raised in Long Island, joined the Marine Corps at seventeen, fought in the Gulf War, got out, worked in a gas station. I want people to understand that out there that that happens and that's okay mm-hmm. because where you land is not necessarily where you're going to end up. Absolutely. And then after you finished school, went to Chicago. Is this when you became a police officer? Yes. Okay. When I went to school full time, my my schooling was in accounting. So when I went to God, Chicago, that's terrible. Mm. I know. Yeah. It. You're just a glutton for punishment. Special individual. Marine, you're from you Marine, no first idea. of all, it's hard to be a Marine. Second of all, you're a Marine on a Navy boat. And then now you're going to count. So when I went back to school... Is that all they had in that too? Because I'm a... No. I, <laughs> I got nothing for you in the Marine Corps. I'm some accounting. Is that all we got? Yeah. So I go there and they're saying, you know, I take... You have to take like an entry test. And mm-hmm. I like scored the worst in like math, you know? And I'm like, oh, now what am I going to do? Cause and you chose I took accounting. basic math in... You know, in school, that's what we had to take was basic mathematics. You know, what time is it? Oh, three o'clock. Okay. Um, you passed. You're out. You know, so I had no mathematics skills whatsoever. So they said you have to take all the remedial classes, which don't even count towards your... Yeah, we, we were in that boat. Yeah. So I'm like, fuck, you know, God damn it. So I was like, all right, whatever I have to do, you know, I'll do it. And I took all those remedial classes starting out from the basics all the way to advanced calculus. So I was like, again, looking back on... I don't know how I did that, but um, ultimately, grind. I did. I, you you think know? being a Marine helped you do that? Absolutely. I would, be guar- I would guarantee your answer is yes. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you this. Being a Marine is probably the first time in my life that I actually... Look, I, I played sports in high school. I, I played baseball when I was younger in the you know, peewee leagues or whatever. I played one year of football, and I sucked at it. I couldn't accomplish anything because I didn't really... I was in an environment that I didn't know. And I didn't have the ability to, or the guidance to get me where I wanted to be. So I stopped doing it. I, I quit, you know. The Marine Corps was actually, the, and schooling, I hated school. I sucked at school. I barely graduated high school. Barely. You, I look back at my high school transcript and I'm like, D, 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 F, D. I think I'm the only person in the world that ever failed driver's ed, you know. So I'm like... Nice job. Nice job. Yeah. Let's put out evolution right there. There you go. Yeah. So, um, write that down. Write that down. <laughs> Where's our wall? Right. So, yeah. I'm like, it was because I was not into it. I was into the Marine Corps. So, therefore, the Marine Corps is the first thing that I ever, like, in my life succeeded at, you know, and did well, you know. So, I think from then on. And that on, showed you how good it feels to succeed, right? Absolutely. Okay. From then on, it was you never stop pushing for what you want. You know, yeah, it sucks at the time, but it's like, you know, it's like jumping in a, a rapid river. You know, the only way you're going to get out is swimming out. You can't give up, you'll die. So you have to keep swimming to get out of there. Good so, analogy. You know, so that's how I looked at it was you just jump in with both feet and then you figure out how to get out of there eventually. And, and that's how I pretty much handled the rest of, you know, some of the accomplishments that I've had in my life. You know, it was just jumping. That's how you with graduate with an accounting degree in the two? Did you graduate with an accounting degree? I didn't. Okay. So what happened was I I started out with my associate's degree in accounting. Um, When we moved to Illinois, I actually got an accounting job, like an accounts receivable in a bakery supply company. Like you see on TV with the cubicles and the... Yeah. Yep. That was me in a cubicle. Um, And 
I thought one day I saw an ad in the paper for a police officer. Um, in the paper? In the newspaper. Back then, we looked at newspapers for jobs. That you was know. the 1900s. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. I remember. Um, one, I saw, one ad, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know what? It looks like it'll be fun. Let me see what happens. You know, I have a job, decent job. I'm not too worried about it, you know, if I don't get it. So I applied and um, eventually got the call to, to be on the police department and then started the academy. So that's how my law enforcement career got started. Now, how so, long ago was that? 1997 when I started. We were talking about the other day that growing up, it wasn't that we were bad in math. I mean, we got it done. It's the same way with you. Because now there's things that I, I, I couldn't be interested in them when I was at a certain age, it, it, no matter how hard I tried. Right. And it's just, it's, a, it's kind of a shift. It's like, all right, it's not time for that part, right? We're going to do this part first, and that's going to build that block. And then when we come back around on some of the stuff that we're learning now, not only do we learn it, but we like it. Yes, And it just kind of consumes yep. it because there was something back in the beginning that we had to learn first to open that door. Mm -hmm. And those little steps that you go through, like working at the gas station, those are like holding patterns to you going into the next, into the next one. That, that. Yeah, but you got to be willing to do those things. Cor right. In That's order the to move to the next level. Correct. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are like, I wouldn't work at no gas station. Yeah, yeah. But exactly. you know what? You know, I, I have bullshit. a family that I have to take care of, and it's the only job that will allow me to work there in the evening while I go to school during the day. Guess what? That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. You know, irregardless of, you know, Oh, regardless of the stigma that comes with that, you know, or, you know, and it was it's things that you have to do to get to where you want to be, you know, and you can't just not do it. It's the same as the stigma that goes with people who use regardless as opposed to irregardless. I think irregardless is a fantastic I, word. I've I heard that it doesn't I, even exist. I, that's I'm why like, I said that. I said, well, yes, it does. I, like I use it all the time I and I like it. Okay. <laughs> but. That's that's a great when you especially when you t the kids that are coming up because you can put them in something at a certain when they're younger ages it's, it's kind of like running a dog in a horse say, race and it's just you know it's they can race but it's just different and right. if you crush it their spirit in the early parts of it man they just won't want to get into any yeah, I would I would add to that it's just as important for all the active duty folks that are listening to our podcast and even the veterans hey you you need to take a big old piece of humble pie absolutely if you have to so I actually did when I first got to Tennessee, I, I actually went to their, uh, the employment office before I started working again. I'm like, hey, I'm here for a job. I got this awesome resume. I drafted this great resume, everything I did in the Marine Corps and everything. So the guy sitting there with me, he's looking over my stuff. He's like, you know what? This is incredible. This is awesome. You did a lot of good stuff. You, you have accomplished a lot, a lot of commendations, a lot of medals and stuff. That's awesome. That's great. I got nothing for you. Doesn't mean I, shit in the real I, world. I, it doesn't mean shit in the real world. That's when I, the first time I was like, did I just screw up getting out? I got my family I got to take care of. Now what do I do? That's when I was like, you know what? I'll go back to school, do what I have to do, and, and that's what I did, you know? But you're exactly right. A lot of guys that are in, they get out, and they think, I did, you know, I accomplished so much, and they did. But your mission's not over yet. You still have to keep pushing and keep serving, whether it's serving yourself, serving others, whatever. You have to keep going. Um, in order to keep developing yourself and keep moving forward in your journey. Absolutely. I, I well, there's tell, no I, stop. No. I no, it men, doesn't I stop. I tell men, no women, stop. Men, men and women all the time when you're getting out of the military, it's like, hey, look, you ain't coming out going to be a CEO. Right. Chances are that is very slim. They tell you that in the military. I mean, they tell you, you're not going, there's nobody better leader than a Marine, you know, and they tell you all that, and you get out and you believe it. Oh, you, you think there's somebody standing at the door. 
Hey, and, where you guys at? Exactly, right. No, but, no, and, no. but that's not how real life is. And a lot of guys get kicked in the balls, really, when they oh, get out Oh, that's why everybody spirals down that little rabbit hole there. Absolutely. It's caused yeah. so many problems. I started telling them, look at the military, no matter how long you're in, is our schooling. You yes. Know, one through 12, then you go into college four years, and military is actually a, a military science degree. And you can stay in that university at... As long as you want. Oh, and you, there's also field trials and experiences. You can go get mm -hmm. those, those you know, overseas experiences you can get into. And when you get out, all of that it, that you, you've learned up until that point is what you're taking into your job. Mm -hmm. So it, it's like with anything else. If we had some CEO, CEO of a company came joined the military, he's like, well, I should be the skipper. I was mm -hmm. the CEO of this company. Why, why right. is that a thing? I'm like, well, I, you know, come mm -hmm. on. <laughs> get your ass down there and push that broom for a little while. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of guys have a hard time swallowing that pill. They do. You know, and, and it, it does cause a lot of problems. I, I tell a lot of the recruits when they start off that, especially my guys that were in the military, like, hey, I, I respect what you did. You're a new appreciate guy your service. But you're a new guy. You know nothing. Okay? You're starting at ground zero again. Know your yep. place. Don't come here with an ego. Don't come here being cocky because you don't know anything. You don't know what it's like to be on the street. Uh, yeah, your experiences will make you naturally gravitate to the top. Yes, absolutely. It will. If they use those experiences Correctly. properly. Correctly. If they use those experiences as excuses, which I've seen also, they're not going to get anywhere. And they're just going to be the grumpy asshole who thinks they're better than everybody. Yeah. And nobody wants that. Okay. Your experiences are your experiences that you keep here. That's what drives you forward to keep on pushing. Sure. It's the same thing like I if they come them. out of the university, they're college experiences. So if you're going to share yours, it'd be like them telling you about theirs. Right. And just kind of relate it. Like, you just went to different schools, and then now you're dropped into the same spot. Absolutely. And everything that – when people hear that Marine tag, there's a lot that comes with that. Yes. That's what you never forget. I mean, there's a long line of men and women that made that respect all the way up to what you are, up to what they walk in. And if, you know, when you go in, just like – any other combat situation, kind of humbled up and ready to rock and roll. All right, so Academy, now we're now we're now we're into our career. Because right. how long were you in the, before you went to the law school? You've been in law school. You've been a lawyer for sixteen years, so you were in for like eight years. I was um, working, like working as a police officer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I started in '97, and I started law school in 2000. Oh, well, that was quick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How'd you do that? Well, so again, it was my, I see something that I want to do yeah. and I'm like, I fall in love with it and then I want to accomplish that. So I would go to court all the time. You know, I'd see all the attorneys there and I'd sit there and kind of like lean back on, I could do that. I could do that. You know, so I did the research and started doing, you know, getting involved, you know, taking the LSAT and, and finding out the schools that I wanted to go to and then. Got accepted to DePaul University in Chicago and nice. started doing that. Good school. So, yeah, good school. And I there was a couple of them, but I was like, eh, DePaul has a good basketball team. So let's <laughs> – we'll go with that. You know, any t any college that has a good sports team oh, is a good so college. Yeah. Oh, you know, man. It's, it's, that's a thing. It's, great, yeah, that's, that's a great absolutely. litmus test. You know, they got a good sports team. Right. I don't I mean, care about anything else. There, right? you know, it's yes, a good absolutely. time, good vibe. Right, right. Sure. So that's so I ended up going to DePaul, and um, that's where I went to law school. And then I would just go to law school um, in the evening. You know, wait. You know, I would work in the midnight shift at the police department. So I'd sleep during the day, get up, take the train into the city, go to law school. You know, do my classes, take the train back, and then drive to work. Work my midnight shift, come back home, go to sleep, 
do it all over again. And study you know, somewhere, a lot, well, a lot, somewhere study in between. between all that. Well, a lot of times, you know, it was on the train. I'd yeah. either sleep or study on the train on the way in, you know, so. That's the thing. When you, when you hear the story when you're sitting there, and I hadn't been through that, it sounds, it sounds exhausting and, like, overwhelming. <laughs> and I'm sure people, that's the reason they don't try and do that. It's like, just study on the train while you're there. What do, you have, do you have any time to do anything else for yourself? No, that's I, what you're doing. That is what you're doing for you know, yourself, right? So when you love it that much, you know, it, it's not – when you talk about it afterwards, yeah, it, the grind is there. And it's – we kind of do that naturally so people understand how much, we, you know, how hard it is right. and where you're sitting. That's important. But it's also important to know that it's just doing that same step every day. It's one day. I mean, you know, yesterday is gone, tomorrow. Absolutely. Right. right. So you just – you're putting out for one whole day, rest up. And that – that cycle that we put ourselves on with the clock, the, the sleep at a certain time, up at a certain time, at certain ages, you can switch that. Mm-hmm. And we, we do it in the military all the time. Absolutely. And, and it's so not healthy. It's not. Yeah, it, but that's why you do it at, at those ages, right? Because right, you, right. you can take it. You know, the only, reg- the only regret in all of that that I do have is the spending time with the family. Is that because a lot, that gets sacrificed a lot mm-hmm. when you're doing those things, you know? Um, and it's not just the lack of spending time with the family, but it's also the stress of going through all that. You know, there were some stressful times. There were times where I didn't get a lot of sleep, you know, and then I was just grumpy dad who didn't get enough sleep and needs to study and do whatever, you know. That's not good for the kids, obviously, you know. And obviously, in hindsight, you think about that. And All you got to do is break open a law book, start reading them, and they'd fall asleep, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I thought, like, come here, Dad's got to study. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> You know, but I mean, wait, wait. I, at the time, you're thinking, I'm doing the best that I can. You know, ultimately, this is going to pay off for all of us. It's going to pay off for me. It's going to pay off for you guys. And it's going to be, you know, it's going to be good. And that's my thought then. Still good intentions, you know. But, um, but looking back, I, I probably could have done better as, you know, spending time with the family and stuff like that and doing more things. Don't do that to yourself. Yeah, Everyone says that. Every guy, I know. We all say that. I mean, that's a, sure. But... Yeah, but I look but back and see how messed them. up my kids are now. But well, no, I'm just kidding. I, I, dude, I'm like, what are you talking about? It turned out exactly. It's all that hard work. You're doing it for the family. Right, right. That, so you said earlier that was a, it's kind of a double-edged sword having a law degree, being a police officer. Because, yeah, did you come off the line? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, no, go ahead. Did you come off the line once you became the, a lawyer? Did you stay on? No, I stayed. Yeah. Well, so, so what I did was when I passed a bar exam in Illinois and became a lawyer, I actually left. Uh, police work and I practice law full time and I work for a law firm that uh, defends police officers in civil liability issues excessive force you know officer involved shooting and stuff like that constitutional issues so I, I did that full time um, and it was a great experience it was amazing experience seeing it from that perspective but man I missed the police work I was miserable all the time i miss the camaraderie i miss the work i miss being around the guys and girls that do that job kind of like when you get out of the military mm-hmm. and you're kind of like not around that anymore and it there's something missing in your life sure you know and i remember thinking shit you know am i going to disappoint everybody if i just go back to being a police officer because everybody was expecting me to be this attorney you know and Ultimately, I made the decision that I needed to go back, and my police department was gracious enough to take me back where, and pick, pick up right where I left off, you uh-huh. know, rather, uh-huh. than, you know, rather than starting all over and everything like that. I mean, I picked up right where I left off, and that was huge in, in my career 
to allow me to do that because I was easily transitioned right back into being a police officer. I'm now happy, but now I have this huge experience behind me that, that I was able to do. And I mean, it ultimately helped me in my career. I was going to say, did, incredibly. did it change the way you policed? Absolutely. In what way? Absolutely. It, so when you see things, you look at the bigger picture at, at that time. So enforcing the law and knowing the law. Is so the biggest thing I wouldn't thing, say knowing but understanding the understanding and applicability, you know, applying what you know is because you got to think that police officers, a lot of times, it, just like in a probably in combat situation, everything's rapidly evolving, everything changes dynamically right in front of you. One thing changes immediately. Police officers have to be able to think that quick to adapt to those situations when it's you know, a critical event occurring, you know, in front of them, whether it's defending somebody else or defending themselves or, you know, trying to save somebody's life or whatever it may be, um, having that education and understanding and being able to apply those principles helps incredibly, you know, and not only that, but it allows me to have, you know, you are more proficient in your job, you're more confident in your job the more you know your job. Sure. The better you know your job, the more confident you are in your job. So if I have somebody on the street that challenges me, you know, a civilian that challenges me as a police officer, um, I know what I can do, what I can't do. I'm not sitting there going, mm, if I put my hands on them, am I going to get sued? Am I going to do this? You know, is this going to happen to me? I don't have to start second-guessing everything that, I'm, that is about to occur which slows your reaction time down. Right. Now it helps me be able to, you know what, if I put my hands on them, I'm lawfully justified in doing so, and I'm able to take care of business then. Is that kind of curriculum kind of migrating over into the academies or the departments, or do you see their sign of a, there's, is it given present day, given present day circumstances and situations that are happening around the country. Right. Is that what, it, 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 does that does that live inside the academies, or is that well, something that we should probably migrate in there? Well, so it's it's very important that you know even now that we start migrating that into our police it's academies not. now. Well, here's the thing: there's At a lot depth. of there, right. There's a lot of instructors, especially so the police academy that I'm at. There are a lot of very good instructors, and we have. Very similar mindset in how we're going to train our new recruits who are going to be taken over for us. You know, as we kind of migrate out of the profession, they're going to be taken over. Um, but there's always something guiding. That, there's always something overseeing that. And they don't always agree. So, for example, our particular police academy is operated out of a college. The college doesn't always agree with how we're training our recruits because they look at them as college students. They're not college students. These are police officers, you know? And that, and then we have the Training and Standards Board, which is governed by the state of Illinois, which also doesn't necessarily um, fit the criteria that we feel. They set bottom, you know, guidelines. They said this is the minimum standard that they have to do. And we're like, no, this, we need more than minimum standards you know, because these kids are going out there and they're putting their life on the line and the way things are unfolding on the news and, and everything's so, you know, rapidly changing. And so it's, it's almost the, chaotic The streets don't get there. soft. They don't get weaker. They get harder. They, so if you make the academy weaker and the streets get harder, what you put in there, 
We were talking about this the other day. Like some of these kids never been punched in the face. And the first time we they get hit and they the see time. their blood going, yeah. you're going to go straight to your gun. I mean, you think you're dying. You don't have any right. idea if something's attacking so you. So right a lot of our, the instructors by us, I mean, that's what we say. We say, and so I know a lot of the defensive tactics instructors that we have, they ask them, has, has anybody ever been choked to the point where they're about to pass out? And there's no, you know, of course, hands go up. I mean, most of these kids still live at home and everything, you know, with mom and dad. And, you know, they'll go up and say, I've never been choked out to the point where I'm about to pass out. That's important to know. Mm. Because if you're a police officer fighting for your life and you're getting choked and you're about to pass out, what are you going to do? Sure. You can't just tap out and, you know, the, the, your perpetrator or your offender is going to stop. They're, <laughs> they're going to keep going. So at that moment, is that the time to withdraw your gun and shoot somebody? Shoot somebody who's unarmed and say, hey, I was getting choked and I was about to pass out. You know, so they, we ask for volunteers yeah, and we say, that's the closest I've ever been to death. Yeah, right, absolutely. So and they, they don't know if there's a difference between someone trying to beat your ass and kill you or, or whip you and get away or scared to death and fighting. And there's just the fight. I mean, the natural instinct. Right. And you if know, you've never been in that, being in that situation teaches you that. That's how people get proficient absolutely. At, at fighting. Right. That's just how it is. You can see it coming a mile away. But that's not on any curriculum that the state sets. The college doesn't set that and say, hey, okay, we're going to choke our recruits so that way they know what it means. I mean, could you, like, <laughs> right, even now, <laughs> you know, I'm like, ooh, you know, um, but, or punch, like you said, punched in the face. We pepper spray them, you know. I, well, that's good, but no I one take, out there cares pepper spray. Everyone has those exa- I take, I mean, I, Trust and, and, me, I take great pleasure <laughs> in pepper spraying the recruits. I mean, I, I step oh, sure, in front yeah, of them. Well, and, who doesn't, right? You know, um, it, but you're... It, it, they don't get punched in the face. They get pepper sprayed. And who's going to pepper spray them, right? They, but you don't think you could have people signing up for the academy if they knew it was that hard? Like, man, they beat you. They, and then you know the, the people were like, hey, if you know what these guys have to go through just to earn the right. I mean, even if you go start whipping on them, they're ready for that, right? Because p- people sense fear. They can understand it. Whether and it's a little they'll feed off of it, right? So st- stress from the it has to be just it has has to be as equal as what you're going into. If not, why don't bit. they? Because I've had that question before. Is like if you set the standards the way that you want them to be set, why don't we do that? And they're like, because nobody will show up. Nobody will. Nobody will apply. It. And I I think that's bullshit. Yeah, what are you talking? About? No, you'll that? have no. You'll have people showing up, but you'll have a lot more people falling out. And that's what here. Well, so that's a quality could, over quantity thing, but, and that that's that's how we get in these problems. Is you try to put quantity out there, and people don't understand it. So if you have a smaller amount of quality, isn't that the same as a a, 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 a big amount would of think quantity? So, but now add the dollar to the dollar value to that. You spend all this to money quality instead of quantity. Well, you spend all this money training somebody, putting the time in, and now you're going to just dump them. Municipalities don't have that kind of money to be feeding into, you know. Somebody shows up, they fill an application, they look great, they've, you know, done whatever they've done in their life, and you know, uh, the commission, the fire police and fire commission says, okay, they're a good candidate to to hire them. So they recommend them to the police department. The police department says, okay, we'll hire them. They go to the academy, and it's like you're a mess. You, you, the, the person doesn't have the mental mindset to do this job. Or they don't have the skills to do this job. They don't have well, uh, any number of things that we can immediately identify in a recruit and say, mm, you're going to struggle, you know? And then we say, hey, uh, this person is not going to be good. They're going to say, you know what? We hired them. We put the money into them already to get them where Make they are good. right now. Guess what? They'll, they'll, they, 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 they rely on hope 
that ultimately they'll get to where they need to be. And maybe eventually they will. Maybe eventually a light bulb will go off and it'll click in them. But how much time is going to pass before that light bulb goes off, you know? And, you know, but it comes down to kind of money and how much money uh, departments are willing to lose in that training. Yeah, so ultimately... So you're to spend more to keep them around in the hopes that... that 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 works itself out, a lot as of opposed mi- to a, a lot of municipalities. I mean, reap do what that. you sow, right? If you put something, if you know knowingly put something in there, that's going to be. There's a lot of people that are in law enforcement that probably shouldn't be there. There, there are, you know, whether they don't have the mental capability or the physical capability or whatever, whatever it, you, that particular department's culture needs for their demographics, they may not fit that criteria, but they're going to keep them anyway. Because what are they supposed to do? Just say, oh, you're too weak. We're going to let you go. Um, uh, you don't have the right mindset. We're going to let you go. But not after spending all that money, they're going to sit there and hope. Maybe move them to a different job. Maybe move them to a desk job or, you know, school resource job or find somewhere else to shuffle them. Look, the military is not much different than that. I mean, there's I a lot that. of people that are in the military that probably don't belong in there either. You know, they go in there and they let them through. They got past, you know, whatever boot camp they did and... They're not just going to toss them out. They're going to shuffle them around and put them where they need to be until their time's up or until they realize themselves that they're not cut out for that job. You know, but that's, again, that's hope. You know, that's, you're just hoping that that happens. Chances are, you know, the person's not going to look in the mirror and then all of a sudden go, you know what, I'm not cut out for this job. It happens, but not too often. I've had kids at the academy come to me the next day after the first day and say, yeah, I'm not cut out for this. You know, okay. What'd you do before this? I worked in a library. Okay. <laughs> sure, I get. There's the unknown too. I'm scared. I'm. A, you know, everyone thinks that while they're going through it, and you you, you hold on to those. But I mean, there's the, yeah, the first. I think the first couple of days of boot camp, I was the worst experience of my entire oh, life. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. No, it, the thing is, was that when I went to boot camp, I had prepped myself so much. I was like, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be like. It was. You know, and there were guys that were crying in boot camp. Oh, I yeah. Go oh, yeah. Home, going to this is ridiculous. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm going to get out of here, you know, swim across the swamp at Paris Island. And go, you know, there were guys that were doing that. You know, there were guys that were thinking that or saying that and losing their minds. I'm like, how? didn't you not know what you were getting into when you got in here? I did so much research, showed up at the recruiter's office every weekend for their little MEPS meetings. And, you know, I knew, listened to all the audio tapes of, of the sounds of boot camp, you know. and We, had, we did that you too. Know, I did everything I possibly could to mentally prepare myself for that. So that way it wasn't a shock. And during boot camp, I spent most of my time laughing my ass off. Because I thought the drill instructors were hysterically funny at this, the shit that they were saying. I thought, you know, some of the recruits that were like getting thrashed and stuff, I thought that, that was funny to me. The, you know, the games that we played, I thought were hysterical. And they would make, make us drink so, like a shitload of water. Because I went through a Parasan in August, you know, and it, it was hot. And they would like, you have to drink water. But they'd make us drink that water after chow. We'd have to drink two canteens full, hold them over our heads to show that we drank them. Next thing you know, guys are throwing up. I'm sitting there throwing up too because we just ate and now I'm full of water. I'm hysterically laughing while I'm puking because I thought, this is hysterical. This is funny. Even now I think it's pty funny, you know, but... Ah, <laughs> uh, the good old days. Yeah, right, exactly. So, But the, to my point, I mean, there are people down here that are designed for stuff like that. Right. People down here get sick, and people down here never get sick. Right. And, and that's, I mean, you can kind of, you see them when you're going through it. And it doesn't make anybody a bad person because they're not cut out for that job, especially if they want to serve. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying... There, there are a lot of jobs out there for people to do other than some of the 
that particular one. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And that's why we have the, the testing and the training. Right. But like the, you were going back to like some of the training and stuff, we try to incorporate that in our academy as far as that mindset. But there's kind of like, you know, that duality of, you know, are you going to be a warrior police officer or are you going to be a guardian police officer? And, you know, we, we say we focus on being a warrior police officer because these guys have to be able to defend themselves and other people. But you get a lot of people who look at that and go, Mm-mm-mm. that's not the mindset anymore. We want them to be the guardian police officer. I argue, why can't we be both? You know, why can't I teach my guys to have the proper, you know, warrior mindset, but act as the guardian, you know, educate yourselves. Sure. Learn about, yeah. Sheep you know, dog, sheepdog, right? Like, all right. You're talking about how much wasting money on people. It's one of our citizens. You don't waste a dime on them. Mm-hmm. It's our money anyway. You've educated them up to a certain point and trained them to a certain point. It's not a bad thing they're still right. around even no matter what they go do they're part of our community and they have that lesson they've seen enough in there so it's wasting money on a citizen training them up to do something that we, in that direction i mean i guess you can look at it a bunch of different ways but given let's fast forward a little bit so given 2020 just ended and what a absolute shit show that was across the country in general i'm sure it was even out out of control in chicago yeah, as yeah, well those awesome numbers <laughs> Then here we find ourselves in the first week of 2021, and the riot in the Capitol just happened. They, 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 depending on which news channel you know, I try to watch them all. You're, depending on which one you're talking about, they're talking either good or bad about the Capitol Police and the officers that were present uh, in 2020. All they talked about majority of the time I saw was just negative mm-hmm. feedback about the officers. Is there something that you can? share with us that that obviously the media is not portraying that they give perspective to us that aren't wearing a shield because you're te- your you're teacher now yes so i want i'm asking that you kind of educate our listeners and us included on um, something we haven't seen heard this perspective there's a lot of things that it, it different from all you know police officers that have different demographics that they're protecting or dealing with um it, as far as what those guys are dealing with, I mean, that is, it's chaotic. It is chaotic. And it, it, I'm embarrassed at what our society has become and what we've allowed, you know. But we now turn around and say we want our police officers to, to stop that. And now you're having these guys go in there and they're like, wait a minute, we were getting bashed before for taking police action, doing what we're supposed to do to protect people, to protect property. And now they're all second-guessing themselves. Because now what do we do? The that's created to keep our country from going into anarchy was the one that was lynched through 2020. Absolutely. And now they're like, where where are you guys at? Now there's guys that are afraid. And that's what I was saying earlier, is that you have one mindset of guys that are like, you know what? If you do anything out there, you're going to get fired, you're going to get sued, you're going to get thrown in jail. So there's a lot of guys that are like, you know what, I'm just treading along, doing my time, and that's it. But you also have this mentality of guys are saying, you know what, we need to adapt to how things are going. If we as a profession, as a law enforcement profession, learn to adapt to how society, we can't, we talked about this earlier, if I dig my heels in and say, Nope, this is how we've always done police work. This is how we're going to continue to do police work. If you do that, it, you're never going to get anywhere. You're never going to 
advance as a profession and things are not going to get better. But if you adapt to how you do police work, um, you know, educating yourself on more um, mental health things, you know, um, emotional intelligence, understanding why people act the way they act, you know, and those certain things. I could study the law and I could study Fourth Amendment, civil rights, constitutional law, back and forth. But if I'm not able to apply those other skills as far as having emotional intelligence and having, you know, my understanding of mental health, what is all that stuff going to do? I'm going to go out there and not do anything, you know? So that's our, our police officers now are probably the most educated police officers that we've had, you know. Oh, sure. Yeah, ever. we'll talk about that too, man. You guys got to know religion, uh, social status, standing, absolutely. Uh, you know, drugs, and how they react on people. I absolutely. Mean, There's so much stuff that they have to learn. And a lot of that stuff is not stuff that they get out of the academy, but they get it from just street experience. Getting out there and on-the-job training. Just get out there and do it, and then you'll learn as you go. Hopefully you'll be okay, you know? It seems like, you know, statistically, a lot of the, the lot, a lot of these circumstances that are thrust into the mainstream media are young, younger officers. Not all the time, but younger officers that maybe haven't had the opportunity to learn exactly what they need to, and then they get caught in that situation. And like we said before, you, you get slapped in the face, everything kind of goes out the window. Right. You think we um, we demand a lot out of our officers as a society? We do. Is that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's unfair. Yeah, without demanding it from ourselves, because we wouldn't have to call them if we were doing what we wanted. You know, and that's a great it, statement. I mean, you know, I mean, what I'm talking it's, about it's yeah, like absolutely. It's, it's, it's an ebb and flow. It's like water with us in, the, in that line. It's like, hey, we're we want to move with you as well, and then when you get too far out of the line, we'll hit you back in there. But then. We have to take the responsibilities of ourselves. Like, why would you even need? Why do we need them to come in, right? Evaluate that part. So, but there's, you know, but we tell our recruits is that when you now enter this profession, you are no longer in it for yourself. This is a profession that is self-sacrificing. You're giving up your liberties for other people's liberties. That comes with the job, and you have to be willing to accept that you know, as a profession, you know, as, you know, as your job, you have to be willing to understand it and you can't forget it because as we go, you know, you get become jaded with the streets, you know, people don't respect you, people curse you out, people do this, they spit on you, they do whatever and you become jaded. You're like, screw this. But you know what? You can't forget why you got into this profession. That's core. That's your foundation. Why did you get into doing this? Because you want a police pension after so many years? No, that's not why you came into this job. You came into this job because you want to help people. You want to serve people. You want to change society. A lot of guys ultimately feel that no matter how hard they spin their wheels, they're not having an effect on anything, you know. But, um, but that's not true, you know. You can change, have an impact on somebody's life in 10 minutes of interacting with them. You don't know how you're, you know, changing somebody's life with just a smile, just a wave, or, you know, it doesn't have to be like, I, you know, I had to breathe life back into them in order to affect their life. It could be as simple as a nod, a wave, a smile, sure. you know, it's to change, have an impact on somebody's life. You know, you don't know. So don't become jaded. Stay focused on why you got into this job. You know, you got into this job to help people. I'm if saying that to the, to the civilians. Don't get jaded. You know, smile, wave back, you know, let them know that, hey, you know, you're happy to see them in there. I mean, it's kind of that same thing. Right. You know, but it, it, but as far as civilians go, they, they, 
we as a society need to understand what our police officers are going through. Um, uh, but I, there's people that don't care. I mean, they don't, you know. Sure. They're, they're yeah, not all gonna, across they, the board, people don't want to know because... They're going mean, to use that yeah. as an excuse to act, you know. That's like why y'all exist, so they don't have to see that. I get people, that part, too. People use, you know, well, I got slapped by a police officer when I was a young kid, so therefore I hate the police. Oh, so that's your excuse to act like an asshole for the rest of your life is because of that? No. The, the police... Yeah, he's probably it, acting like an asshole to begin with. That's why he got slapped. Which, <laughs> right, exactly. You know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. <laughs> So it's like, okay, but I'm not here to slap you. I'm here to help you. You called me. I'm here to, to serve you. So what, what do you need? I, you don't give me an attitude. I'm here to, to kind of, you know, if you need me, I'm here. If not, then I'll go about my business and, you know, you can figure it out for yourself, you know. Um, but I think, again, just both sides need to have an understanding and educate themselves. They need to educate themselves in, you know, Police officers need to educate themselves in, like I said, mental illness, emotional intelligence, you know, that kind of things, you know, being society's leaders, you know, and not falling victim or falling into the rest of that, you know, what the media is trying to sell you. Okay, that's number one. Number two, society needs to educate themselves more about exactly what the police officers do and why. You know, I, I try to do that. We, we host the Citizens Police Academy and, you know, we had that conversation a little bit earlier and that's I try to educate them on why we do what we do so that way when you see the news and you see a police officer dragging somebody out of the window of a car you know exactly number one there's probably more to it than that little clip mm -hmm. of the officer dragging him out of there and you understand why that officer may have dragged that person out of the car you know, did they see a weapon? Did they see something in there that was dangerous? Did, you know, was a person under arrest and they were refusing to comply with the police, you know? Because ultimately, there's that line in the sand when my commands aren't working, I have to use force. Yeah. And police force is not pretty, regardless Go with it. of... Go with it. <laughs> ...of, you know, of what you show. You know, me striking somebody with a baton, even though I may have to do that, is not, that doesn't look good. It sure. doesn't look good. You know, people see that and they're like, oh, there they are again. There are the police, you know, do what they have to do. So helping society understand why we do what we do, maybe they'll view those things from a different perspective and, you know, not be so judgmental on the police. One time we had uh, the president of the college that I, that I worked for um, was a Navy admiral, a former Navy admiral, mm. and it was a female. She was awesome, very military, very you know, very high up, had, had held some very respectable positions in the, in the Navy. And um, so during Veterans Day one time, she had come to me and she said, hey, our guest speaker didn't show up. I need you to give, you know, you're, the, you're now our guest speaker. I'm like, I'm like I, why? I can't do this on the spot. Like, she goes, yes, you're a Marine. You can do this. I said, what do you want me to talk about? She goes, just talk about your experiences and serving, you know, society military and police and how that relates and you know i thought i'm sitting there thinking now and i'm thinking you know when you're in at, in boot camp and stuff like this they talk about like all these heroes that have gone before you you know and you look up to them and you you know you're like oh man you know chesty puller and you know john Basalone and smedley butler you're thinking about all these great people and you your whole thing is i want to live up to those standards you know um not everyone in the military gets to be in a situation, for example, that you've been in. Right. We don't all get that. 
But we should all strive to be prepared for that moment because you never know what it's going to, you know. So that was what, you know, what I was talking about was that you should always never stop serving, never stop. You know, it's your mission in life to keep on going because that's how you look. I'm never probably I'm, I'm never going to be a war hero. My time has passed. My opportunities have passed. But that doesn't mean I should stop what I'm doing. I shouldn't stop living up to looking up to Chesty Pullers, you know, sure. you know, or John Baslon or all the other heroes that we studied. That's not my calling in life is that I was going to be a war hero. You know, I'm not. What, what was the, uh, the guy from? Uh, Audie Murphy? No, 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 Forrest Gump, right? He's like, I was supposed to die on that battlefield. Oh, you robbed me. Dan. Dan, you robbed me of that. You stole that from me. You know what? That wasn't your calling. Right. You were prepared for that. That's awesome. But it doesn't stop there. It keeps on going. And that's what pe people like myself have had to come to terms with. You know, I'm never going to be, you know... Uh, the big war hero that you know you are or that you know some of the other guys are that's not my calling my calling is focusing on our civilians that are trying to learn more about the police and the recruits that are trying to be the police that's my calling and that's where I apply everything that I've learned including looking up to all those heroes and applying it to that respect you know what's, what's some of the what would be a piece of advice you would give somebody off the top of your head, it was like, hey, look, you know, troubling times, trying times. Our country is in a toilet bowl spinning down the drain right now. I mean, from your perspective, what what would you say to somebody? Hey, don't give up. Well, I mean, can't, well you can't give up. Don't you, believe in what you see on TV. Well, yeah, that well, there's a whole list of things that I would say is, number one, don't always believe what you see on TV. It's the cultural demographics that dictate the enforcement that dictate, you know, how the police officers are going to act, how they're going to respond, you know. Um, Don't you plug into that phone? It's like plugging into one big high school. Yeah. That's right. what that totally. is. Yes. <laughs> you know, so it's hard to say, you know, people, I get asked that, you know, what, what do you think about the, what this officer did in, in New York City? You know, what do you think about this police officer that he did? It? You know, I can't blank, make a blanket statement. I don't know why that officer did what he did. Maybe he had to. Maybe he had the mindset that, hey, you know, I'm, this is what I have to do. Maybe he got stuck in that training cycle where, you know, this wasn't working, so I need to, you know, we always say that they get stuck in a rut. If I'm in training at the academy and I'm tra training recruits how to strike with a baton and I'm teaching them on each other, well, they're going to go half speed on each other. Now, obviously, they're not going to go full speed and they're going to submit to each other right away. They're not going to resist. But the first time that happens out in the street and the person doesn't yeah. submit, they get in that training cycle. Well, maybe I'm not hitting them hard enough. Maybe I'm not doing something properly. So what do they do? They strike harder yeah, yeah. and harder and harder. Somebody's videotaping them. They see that and they go, look at this poor guy who's getting struck by this police officer. Uh, sure. you, know? Yeah. you know, same thing with, I, I talk, this, talk about this all the time when we talk, teach our defensive tactics with handcuffing. Just something as simple as handcuffing. When we go through the, through the dynamics of handcuffing at the academy, we do it on each other. Sir, turn around. Put your hands behind your back. Bend at the waist. Turn to the left. Okay? And what do they do? 
the recruits do exactly as they're instructed. Mm -hmm. They turn around, put their hands behind their back. But what happens when they go and do that on the street and the first time they say, sir, turn around and put your hands behind your back and the guy goes, fuck you. Then what? Then what do you do? We don't go that far in the academy. You know, we, we teach, you know, because we submit to each other. Yeah. You know, we do, we do Red Man, which is like a oh, we full, got Red Man. all out, you know. We do that, um, but I don't even think the recruits get enough of that, you know, of, of that stress environment training, you know. Certainly when they go back to the police crazy, department. Which is crazy because that's what the job is. Certainly when they go back to the police departments, the police departments are not going to, again, spend a lot of money doing that in training and the risk of somebody getting hurt doing that. And now you got an officer who's injured that can't do his job, you know? So there's that balance, you know? So there's a lot of officers that the only training they get is in the academy. And then once they get, get on the street, the rest of it is just street training, you know? I'm, and I'm not making a blanket statement about all police departments, of course. No, sure, like, yeah. We talked about varying, clear, sure. but, but there are agencies that I know of that, you know, You'll ask a, a, an officer, say, when was the last time you did a certain, you know, defensive tactics training? Well, not since I was in the academy. Oh, really? That's not good. You know, that's not good. So um, as, as police officers, we have to then maybe train ourselves, you know, educate ourselves, do better, read more, you know. And there has to be an emphasis on that because... If I sit here and watch the news and see the way things are unfolding, I need to adapt my mindset to deal with those things. And if it's educating myself more on, you know, on, you know, the constitutional rights of people, then that's what I have to do. If I have to educate my, myself more on mental stability, because that's another big topic now with, you know, a lot of mental illness out there, you know, dealing with people then. If there's somebody with mental illness who may pose a threat to the police, do they deserve to you know, get shot or killed, you know, and I guess it depends on what's being done. But if I change my response to that, maybe the outcome will be better If because I'm able to identify that a lot quicker that, you know, what I'm dealing with. You know, I had a guy one time that we went to a call and he had made a 911 call and, you know, he's like, my wife was just killed, you know, and, you know, get over here. So we respond. The garage door's open. We go into the garage, and I hear screaming inside. And me and, you know, one of my officers are outside. We're like, oh, shit, we can hear him screaming. And he's like, what are you doing? You know, I said, okay, we're going to go inside. We're going to take a look, you know. Um, we open the door, and he's standing there in his underwear, covered in blood with a big sword, like a talking Conan the Barbarian-type sword. And he's swinging it back and forth. And obviously, the guy wasn't in the right mindset, you know, right. But that's what I'm saying. That was pretty Could have been obvious. A Wednesday. That, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's covered in blood because he had just got done stabbing himself with the sword, you know, and so he's covered in blood and you know, he's like, My wife's right here, my wife's right here. So we're like, What do we do? He starts moving towards us. So you know, instead, you know, could we have shot him? Absolutely. He's moving towards us with the sword, he's a threat. But we are immediately identified that he, there's a mental thing missing. So we backed up a little bit. I reholstered my weapon, took my taser out. My partner kept his gun out just in case that didn't work. And we ended up just tasing him, you know, and I got asked afterwards, it was like, you could have shot him, you know, like, why didn't you just, because we identified right away that this was a mental problem. He didn't mean harm on us. Um, so 
I, my point being is if you're able to identify that a lot sooner, then you could change your response and have maybe a better outcome if, if you don't identify that mental illness out there or whatever the circumstances may be, it quickly, it could end bad. In this case, it ended fine. We tased him and I was, my only thing was him falling on that sword, so to speak, no pun intended. You know. <laughs> um, and then getting hurt, but it, it, everything worked out good. You know, and we didn't have to shoot him. Could we have shot him? Probably we could have gotten away with it and articulated that, you know, the need to defend ourselves from a guy who's got this sword. I don't know what his experience with that sword is. Was his wife really dead? There was no wife in the house. He had been divorced for years. Mm. It was just him. Just looking for a buddy? (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, so I guess my, my point being is that educating yourself and being, you know, in, like I said, the mental illness and some of the other aspects will change your response to some of these things. You know, if I know that, hey, these kids or whoever it is that are storming the Capitol are not supposed to be here, I don't care if they start screaming that they have a constitutional right to be here or not. If I know that they're not supposed to be there, then they're leaving and they're going. And if I have to use force to get them out of there, then that's what I have to do. You know, it's, it's going to be ultimately what I can articulate is my lawful justification for acting. What's your message for future law enforcement officers who might be worried that there's not enough training or they're worried that there's not enough support from the American people, they're not getting the right leadership. That, but that's the thing is that that's not true. We do have a lot of support from, I, I hear that all the time from people who are saying, you know, I don't care what they say on the news. We love the police. We support the police. You know, I've very rarely, now here's the thing. I, I also want to caveat this with, I, I do work at a smaller police department. A lot of my experience is, because of the training that I do and interacting with other officers that work at much larger police departments. So that's where I'm coming from. So for me to say that, you know, people are supporting the police, yeah, in my particular municipality, they support the police by far. You know, we get that a lot more. Again, some of the other demographics, maybe they don't support the police as much. But you know what? That's not why you do it. You don't do that job because people are going to pat you on the back, because people are going to love you, right? Because they're not always going to love you. Sometimes you have to do things that people are not going to appreciate. You do it because it's your mission in life to do. That's your calling, you know? That's, you know, you put on that badge, there's a lot that comes with that. Discipline, self-sacrifice, you know, those kind of things that we talk about. I mean, those... That's why you do it. And if that's what your goal is, because you want to serve others and do better in the world, then that's the right job for you. If you're putting on that badge because you want a pat on the back and you want people to be like, yes, you're the police, so here's your free donut and free coffee at the Dunkin' Donuts. If that's why you're doing it, then you're in the wrong profession. Go go do something else, okay? Because that's not why you do it. You do it because... It's your calling. It's what you want to do. You know, you want to serve others, whether they want it or not, you know. So um, as far as the training goes, hey, you can't always rely on others to get you educated or get you trained. Guess what? You have to seek it out yourself. You have to invest in yourself. If there's a training program that I see that interests me, I'll go to my department and I'll say, hey, would you be willing to send this, send me to this? No, it's too far, costs too much. You know what? How about I'll pay for it you, and you just pay me on the clock? 
All right, I'll pay for my hotel stay, I'll pay for that. I'm investing in myself and that has to, that goes along with it, is that investment in yourself. I, at the, just as something as simple as at the academy, I hear, I go, hey, you got the wrong boots. Those are not street boots. Those are not the boots you have to have. This is what was issued to me. I don't care what was issued to you. This is your career, okay? You want the best equipment that you need on the job, correct? When you're on the street doing the best you can, and you're going to sit there and go, well, my department didn't give it to me. Then go out and get it yourself. Invest in yourself. Invest in your protection. Invest in your education. And don't stop that because if you forget why you start doing this job, you're going to get complacent and the bad things happen because of that. You know, you don't want to do that. So I say stay focused, invest in yourself, invest in your equipment if you don't issue, if you're not issued to it, and always remember why you got into this job. And that's what I would tell all our new officers. Great advice. Right on, bro. <laughs> What's next? Well, so we've had, things have been very tumultuous up there, you know, by us. Um, not just with, you know, some of the riots and stuff like that, but we've had to shut our police academy down because of, you know, spread of coronavirus. And, you know, it's, so we've had to do a lot of um, modifications. We just recently started back up, but we're not back to normal. We're doing a lot of things that, to change. We've, we've done like online training for police officers. I, I couldn't imagine that. You know, like, but we have to train our police officers. We got to get them trained so that way we could get them back to their departments. So we have to do something. But in this day of coronavirus, we're doing online training. We're doing defensive tactics with like complete masks on, you know, so we don't, you know, how do you train defensive tactics when you're not even supposed to be within six feet of each other? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, so we've really had to adapt to what we do. My focus now is going to be getting back and getting things back to normal, you know, um, and that's not that's true for our police departments, and that's true for our academies. Is just getting things back to normal, and hopefully we get there. You know, they started rolling out the, you know, the vaccines mm -hmm. for first responders and stuff. So a lot of our first responders are already starting to get vaccinated. So that's, I mean, it's a start. You know, as far as some getting back to some normalcy, but it's just a start. I think now, I think we've seen a whole shift in the way we do police work and the way we do things. I mean, we now have police officers that are like maintaining social distance, even in, you know, interactions where, you know, we're used to like putting our hands on somebody or doing a certain thing. You know, we've had to change our tactics as far as that. So, I mean, now going back, it's going to be just adapting to that and kind of hoping we get back to some normalcy, but I don't think we'll ever get back to. No, we're just setting the new normal. The, I, it, the old one obviously got worn out, and we're going through that transition. But think so. about this. We are a society of, of seeing each other's faces, reading each other's, you know, seeing a smile, seeing, you know. Now behind masks, we can't see that. How are we supposed to operate as a society when we can't shake hands, we can't hug, we can't see each other's smile, and I always thought, like, this whole idea of masks were hard. That's, that's crazy because we're, that's not our society. We need to see each other. You smile at somebody at the store now, and they don't know you're smiling, you know. It's like, how, how do we operate? You know, where do we, how do we live in that kind of society where we don't do that, you know? We're not used to that, you know. Yeah. It's alien for us when we see muslim countries on tv and they're all masked yeah, and you know that in back in the day you look at that and that made you uncomfortable you know because 
we're not that society. We're a society of seeing each other's faces, seeing a smile, seeing a certain, you know, shaking hands, hugging. How do we not do that anymore? Yeah. You know, it's, it's so alien to a lot of us that it's like, you know, and there's people like, I don't care about COVID. I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. You know, but you know, not everybody's doing it. You know, you go into a store. I, I walk into a store and I forgot my mask and I see everybody like eyeballing me and I'm like, why is everybody staring at me? Yeah, yeah. I realize I don't have my mask on and I'm like, God, you know, now I'm the asshole because I'm walking around without the mask and that's what we've become, you know? And I'm the guy that wears the same mask over and over again, keep it in my back pocket, <laughs> pull it out after the wash kind of deal. I mean, how many people do that? Yeah, but just something as simple as shaking hands, you oh, know, yeah. that's, that's what we do. I mean, that's, you know, we, we hug each other. We, you know, we kiss each other. We do all, you know, we do all these things that now we're not able to do. I don't know. I think that has a large overall, a much worse impact on our society than we think it does. And, and moving forward as far as not having that emotional attachment to people. Well, that's how you show affection. Like you tell people all day that you love Miss Ellen, but the way they really know that is when you, is the affection part. Absolutely. That's yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's the same thing for, you know, the police. You know, how do we see, you know, we can't see their faces anymore. You know, that's, you know, I know we've always been, our agency has always said, you know, we don't want officers hiding, you know, before COVID, you know, we don't want officers hiding their faces. We don't want them. We want them in traditional blue police uniforms. You know, there's a lot of different uniforms that are out there yeah. you know, that the police wear. No, we want our police officers to look like police officers. That's your job. That's what you came to this job wanting to wear. Not polos, not 5'11 pants. You wear the traditional blue police uniform because mm. you are the police. We want you easily identifiable to the rest of society. We want people looking up to you. Man, that guy's squared away. Look at his uniform. That guy, you know, that guy really takes pride in himself. He really, you know, focuses on his physical fitness, his well-being. Is that a guy that I want to mess with? Nope. But I'm going to take the guy who's overweight. Shirts untucked, looks like a bag of shit, shoes yeah. not shined, you know, and that's the guy that I'm going to challenge as an offender because I know I could probably get away with it with that burst because they don't take pride in themselves. Well, man, thanks for what you do. Yeah, Starting thank from you the for beginning. your service. Yeah, thank man. you for what you do. Thank you for what you're doing. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys. The, yeah, being a first responder behind that, tell everybody back there, man, we're praying for y'all and we, we back y'all up all the time, man, we, and especially out here. Yeah, in these tumultuous times, it's good to get perspective from somebody who's on the front line protecting us so thanks for coming down thanks yeah, for spending, no, i appreciate it thank you so much morgan you got a listener story that i think perfectly ties to today if you'd like to share that with everybody yeah it says uh dear tnq i want to thank you all for your service not only those who serve our great nation in the field of battle but those behind the scenes who serve our nation of individuals identifying with life's struggles your efforts bring hope and promise to many with our nation in turmoil and law enforcement constantly on the forefront of victimization via unacceptable inflammatory rhetoric and falsely labeled a burden to our society, there's never been a more appropriate time to tell the never-quit story of the law enforcement community. This community is compromised of relentless individuals who selflessly take an oath to protect the civil liberties of citizens and dedicate their efforts and lives safeguarding our cities, states, and nation. These individuals, despite a trending national narrative of hostility, criminalization, scorn, condemnation, and abomination toward them continue to honor their commitment of service with unwavering professionalism. Their willingness to answer the call regardless of circumstances or outcome is without obstruction. They do not abandon their fellow man and ungrudgingly shoulder his woes to restore contentment. 
These outstanding men and women are committed to humanity and without hesitation or discrimination will sacrifice to protect public interest. They willingly accept the responsibility of making life-altering decisions knowing they will face extreme critics and scrutiny regardless of justification. These officers suffer physically and emotionally yet refuse to be defeated and overcome adversities with the great fortitude. Their sole drive is their sworn commitment and desire to serve their fellow man and contribute to a better society. The law enforcement community wakes up every day, straps on the never-quit attitude, and goes to work. They do this not for gratitude or acceptance, rather so others may live and flourish in this great nation. I want to personally thank my brothers and sisters for their dedication, determination, and professionalism. Never quit. Signed, Sergeant Joshua Hurdle. It's awesome. Thank you for sharing that letter, and I promise you the, the vast majority of us out here, we mimic those thoughts, so... We got you back 100%, Josh. You're absolutely right. We want to personally thank all the law enforcement and first responders out there for everything they do, have done, and are doing for all of us who live under that blanket of freedom they provide every day. God bless you, Josh. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. If if today's message spoke to you or you think it would speak to someone in your, in your life, in your circle, make sure to share the episode with a friend. Follow us on social media, teamneverquit.com slash social. You can... Uh, Stay up to date with everything we've got going on. See what kind of new episodes we have going on. We've got some brand new podcast gear, too. Check it out at shop.teamneverquit.com. Sam, thank you again for coming thank out. You. Thank you for your service. See you guys next week. Thank you.